Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby. Hello, good morning, and welcome to it live around the world at MichaelDukesShow.com where you'll find uh, links to the audio-only podcast, no, excuse me, audio-only stream, links to the podcast, and uh, links to all our social media sites where we uh, simulcast the radio show each and every day uh, across the world, and also, of course, uh, live around the state of Alaska on plain old terrestrial radio on this, your favorite radio station, and or FM translator. Hello and good morning. Welcome back. It's the Michael Duke Show, and it's the Thursday edition of the show, which means tomorrow is Firearms Friday. Oh, baby. I don't know who we're going to have on tomorrow. I was working uh, on Dr. John Lott. We'll see if we can get him on the program and um, and more. But right now, let's worry about Thursday. What's coming up on Thursday? Well, let's see. <clears throat> In hour two, uh, Nick Begich III, uh, who has thrown his hat in the ring, in fact, one week ago today, he announced his candidacy for the 2024 election. Is that right? 2025, 2024. Anyway, he's thrown his hat in the ring for uh, U.S. Congress, for the U.S. House of Representatives running for Don Young's seat against Mary Peltola. And uh, this should be interesting to watch. I'm, I'm interested to see how many people are going to um, – how many people are going to jump up in the middle of this here with the jungle primary and the ranked choice voting. This should be a very interesting uh, – should be a very interesting uh, year uh, for that. This will be the second round as we go forward uh, for ranked choice voting. And I'm uh, I'm interested to see what happens and how many people we're going to talk. We had, what, 48 candidates in the – it was 48 was either in the special election and then like 40 in the general election, the regular election for the US House last uh, last go round. So this should be this should be an interesting time. This this will be this will be very interesting to watch to see what happens. But we're going to talk with Mark Beggage here in hour 2 uh, about uh, his thoughts uh, on what's happening, what uh, his opponent has done. Uh, he's made a mention that now this should make it easier because now she has a track record, a voting record that you can uh, run you know against uh and uh also i think he feels like uh you know the second go around a little bit more recognition for his deeds and everything else so this should be interesting to see uh to see who else throws their hat in the ring mary peltola has not officially announced yet although she has been uh she has been fundraising so this should be this should be an interesting time 
coming up. And of course, it's, it's like a full year before the filing deadline for that race. So um, there could be a lot of players, a lot of players uh, in this uh, in this arena come uh, come this time next year. So we'll have to we'll have to see what goes on. But Nick Baggage is going to be on the program for the full hour in uh, in hour two. Uh, here in hour one, we've got a lot of headlines to talk about, and uh, surprisingly, I am going to. Uh, we're going to talk about something where I agree with, I agree with the Democrats, and Kathy Geisel. Oh man, I hate to say that. I hate, but you know what? Even a stop clock is right twice a day, right? And that would my grandfather used to say, a stop clock is right twice a day. Uh, so we'll talk about that, uh, plus some other uh, headlines from around the state, and maybe more about the politicization of what's happening in uh, the state government. I know Brad has talked about that with the elimination of the tax director at the DOR, that that may be politically motivated by Adam Crum. And now <clears throat> there's a new story out <clears throat> from uh, Nat Herz uh, talking uh, about the governor uh, uh, doing some more firing. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, we've got the latest on the Homer jury who, uh, delivered the, um, conviction of an anchor point man. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about, well, we just got all kinds of stuff. There's all kinds of things in here, stuff and things, including, oh, I saw this yesterday. This actually came out, um, day before yesterday. Uh, and. You know, I knew that there were, there's been a lot of discussion. I follow things that happen in Homer pretty closely, right? I, I try and follow what's going on down there because I really love Homer. I love the community. Um, I love the area. I mean, it, it's, it's my ultimate lifelong goal to get down there sometime and to be able to, you know, spend my <clears throat> retirement years or whatever down there, or maybe even before if possible kind of thing. Um, and I know that there is, you know, there's some contention down there. It's a mixed community. It's not a mostly, you know, I mean, I've lived in North Pole, which is very red. I've lived in the Matsu, which is very red. There are other areas of the state which are not quite so way. And Homer's a bit of a mix, right? I mean, it's, it, which I kind of find charming in some ways that, that it's not all, and it's, it, it's interesting, um, but Man, it seems like there's been a rising tide of Karens in um, in Homer, and this this story got posted to uh, to uh, to one of the, the the Homer Communication Group, which is uh, well, that's always entertaining to watch. If you haven't, if you're not part of the Homer Communications Group on Facebook, that is an uh, boy, it's entertaining. Let's just put it that way. There's there's always something going on there. Uh, usually some name calling and some other stuff, but you know, it's, it's sometimes it's entertaining, but this post just got me because, uh, if you've listened to this program for any length of time, you realize that I am a huge private property proponent that I basically believe that if you've bought your property and you are paying the King's tax on it, right? You're paying the, the you're paying the King every day for the privilege of living there. The King being the government with property taxes, which 
oh, I find it so immoral, just irritates me to death. Um, anyway, I believe that if, as long as you're not hurting anybody else, as long as you're not dumping, you know, nuclear waste or, or, you know, leaking something into the groundwater or doing whatever that you should pretty much be able to do whatever you want on your own private property because it's your private property. So this post, this popped up the other day, uh, day before yesterday, uh, that there's a small tea shop down on one of the, the main drag there, Pioneer, uh, uh, Pioneer Street uh, in uh, in Wasilla, and they received a notice from the Homers from the city of Homer, and uh, they said uh, we're contacting you regarding your shop Divinity at one eleven West Pioneer. Unfortunately, we here at the planning department have received, which is weird. The planning anyway, the planning department have received several complaints this summer from some members of the community about the multiple items you have in front of your shop, specifically the large flower planter pallets, sandwich board signs, and the flags. And uh, so the owner proceeded to post that and then pictures of the area in front of her shop, which by the way, looks lovely. I mean, she's got some She's got some old um, um, uh, reels, some old wooden like cable reels that are made into picnic tables. Now, I may have a soft spot in this because my father actually built a he built a dining room table out of an enormous wheel, an enormous reel where he, you know, trimmed the edges off and he. He, he poured, you know, epoxy, clear epoxy. It had tiles in it. It had sand from Hawaii. It had bits and bobs and things from Alaska. It was just, it's a beautiful table. It's a beautiful table. So I might be a little biased when I'm like, those tables are great. So they got these picnic tables. They got some flower baskets. She has a sandwich board out near the sidewalk. And then she has these pallets where she's planted, put dirt, she's backed the pallets with some plywood, and she's filled them with dirt, and she has flowers trailing out of the front of these pallets. I mean, it's kind of a cute little area. I mean, I'm just like, wow, that's a, you know, it's upcycling, you're reusing stuff, and it's cool. And the some some Karen down there is like, complained about the... It to <clears throat> wow. Now, this post now has 150 comments or something in it. And uh, I scrolled through it yesterday afternoon uh, because I was just curious, what is the feeling from the people in Homer? Now, normally this is kind of a mixed bag when you're reading this group. But turns out that uh, there was like out of 140, 150 comments, I found like one comment was like, well, if there's a law, you should follow it. Kind of thing to which I say, meh. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'm just I'm watching this, and um, now the city uh, there was a there was an update to it, and uh, the update basically said uh, she ha- she's having a meeting with the uh, with the planning department. I think that there was a huge backlash because somebody at one point early on in the comments posted the names, the email addresses, and the phone numbers of the planning department so that people could voice their displeasure. And now the planning department is uh, going to have a meeting with her. And she doesn't have to do anything until the meeting and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, this is part of the problem with planning and zoning and all these other things that are going on um, in in many 
communities around the country. Um, uh, there's a whole if you want to if you want an eye opening educational outlook on what zoning and planning does in different communities, there's a whole section over on Reason Magazine where you can read about the nightmare that some people have had to go through over the years based simply on <clears throat> trying to utilize their property in the way that it was it was intended or originally intended they had intended for use and the fights that people have had to put up with um over again do gooder karens or people in their community who have i mean i think a lot of it's jealousy quite honestly um over people using their property in the way that they want to use it um, and I know somebody out there is going to start crying about, but the parking and the thing and the other, and I mean, again, this just floors me. But so I'm, but, but on this case, I'm kind of one, I'm floored by the fact that somebody took a look at this and said, well, this is a complete and total violation. And I'm going to take my time to go look up the, the numbers, the phone numbers, the planning departments and all this other kind of stuff. I'm going to go look up the numbers, and I'm going to make a complaint. That was my first surprise, that somebody would bother to do something like this on this little tiny corner of this street where, quite honestly, it looks cute. I mean, I drove by this place like a month and a half ago and thought, well, that's a nice new, it's a nice newer building. I hadn't seen that business before. That's kind of nice. Didn't even think about it. Um, but now somebody obviously took the time to do it. But the second surprise was the fact that out of a hundred and 50 comments, 140, 150 comments, there was only one that was like, man, you should follow the law. If there's a dog, you should follow the law, you know, kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe people get it. And it seemed like people who were on both sides of the aisle were, were saying the same thing. Um, yet more proof that the good people of this town have little better to do than complain about each other at the expense of the other. I mean, there's some, there, there are some gems in this comment section, but it's just, you know, this, and this is not just happening in Homer. It's surprising that it's happening in Homer because it's really kind of a small town, but this is happening all over the, in Fairbanks, before I left, they were putting together a process where people could anonymously inform on each other, where they could anonymously file an anonymous complaint with the planning and the public works department and the planning department, and they could have a code enforcement officer go out to people's houses based on an anonymous complaint. They didn't even have to live in the area. They could be just like a drive-by thing where people could anonymously complain. Now, the owner of Divinity has said she's filed a FOIA request, Freedom of Information Act request, to figure out who's complaining about her, which I think you should have the right to face your accuser in a situation like this. Is this something that's punitive? Is it something who's got a vendetta? Uh, but in, like, like I said, this is not just Homer. In Fairbanks, they were setting up that anonymous complaint system, which would cause all kinds of heartaches for people out there. I mean, it just, man, this is why you should not give government all the power, folks. This is, you know, you know. Get those flower planters out of there. They're not up to code. They're flower plant. I mean, what? <laughs> this whole thing with the, you know, yes, property taxes are immoral. It's a, it's just, 
it's heretical. All right, um, we got to uh, we got to jump in here. We're gonna we're gonna go over to the uh, commercial break, and when we come back, I'll pick up on another story. But I mean, just again, the Kareny do-gooders that just come in and, and you know. Oh man! All right, we got to uh, we got to go. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Yeah, the Matsu and the and the firing range was another thing. The shooting range off of man. Why 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 do I have to pay taxes if you're? Uh, oh, I'm gonna triggered. Back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and (laughs) MichaelDukesShow.com. I gotta tell you, I read this thing and I am just like, what? (laughs) What? I mean, that's just it. Oh, man. Uh, First and foremost, uh, let me give credit where credit's due. Brian was first this morning. At 10 minutes to 6, Brian was first. He got the first comment in. Only because YouTube sees the show when it's ready for broadcast. Because I'm always ready, usually about 10, 15 minutes before the show. Uh, YouTube actually sees it. and puts up like a waiting thing and you can post. So 10 minutes to six, Brian's like first. Uh, and then at six Oh three bills, like good morning. So it's hey boys, boys don't fight over me. It's okay. There's enough of me to go around. It's all good. Bill is usually first is why what the, the comment anyway, it's funny. I had to chuckle. Um, that's some sacrilege right there. Anthony does not smell like Folgers in here. Smells like sweat socks. Um, but <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, all right. Uh, good morning. Uh, it's the last Monday of the week. Everyone knows Friday's the beginning of the weekend. Uh, good morning. Half inch of rain. It rained here last night. Like it was hard enough that it was splattering through the screens on the windows. And I'm like, what the? Uh, okay. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I mean, as Harold apparently is in here, somebody's calling him out. The schnozberries taste like schnozberries that will never get old. Um, let's not get started. Um, stuff you put on shelves, things you leave on the floor. Uh, I'm going through here. Can't be liberal in North Pole. Too many meth monsters. Must have Second Amendment-oriented society to sustain. Donna, of course, <clears throat> Donna is uh, running with my favorite quote there, that property taxes are, in fact, immoral. Um, it's not commercial enough for the busybody do-gooders on the assembly in Homer. It's not commercial enough? I just, I don't know. Uh, California Karens. 
<laughs> Bill's like California Karens. Karens will be Karens with a twist. Uh, Brian says also in the Matsu. Yeah, yeah, because again, that's that whole thing with the uh, with the uh, shooting ranges and everything else in the Matsu, which is amazing. You know, the Matsu is again a very red area, but the assembly in the Matsu, the borough assembly and the planning department, seem to have been infiltrated by some of the more Karen esque progressive types. But isn't that all? What, I mean, that's the way it was in Fairbanks. You thought Fairbanks was very red until the progressive slowly but surely took over the assembly. And then, woo, baby, there you go. Um, <clears throat> yes, here's my tax dollars at work for services. Never mind our crippling energy dependencies, bloated government spending, or rising drug infestation. Get those damn flower planters out of there. You have, you must have government approved tables and flower receptacles. <laughs> oh man. It's just, it's, uh, Hey Michael Homer planning commission. Did you happen to notice what these brainiacs did to Safeway's parking lots to allow the expansion? All the stupid islands that take up four to five parking spots each for beautification. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's like title 21 in Anchorage. That thing is a train wreck. I mean, it's actually stifling growth and stifling, you know, beautification and everything else. It's, uh, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, I didn't even notice. Okay. I just want to be giant. So I can take care of the obnoxious. I don't know. Harold is near preemptive humor strike. Okay. Yeah. No, I was kidding about the, I was kidding about the gym socks. It actually smells really good in here. Um, but it was just a joke, man, people. We're going to jump back into it. Here we go. Uh, the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Like and share. Like and follow. Do the, the, all the YouTube-y things. Do the thing. The stars, the super chats on YouTube. I mean, whatever you guys want to do. I'm all, I'm all good. I'm all good for it. All right. Um, here we go. That's what I wanted right there. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which uh, makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. I am a little bit of something. Pain in the something. Apparently, I'm not the only one that gets <clears throat> a little heated over this whole private property thing. Um, you know. Uh, I actually had a I actually had a sign outside of my uh, outside of my property uh, in North Pole that was <laughs> basically said this property is private. You do not have my permission to enter. You do not have my permission to blah 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 blah. You could stand here on the public road and do what you want to do, but you're not coming on my. I'm a, I get a little heated about that because I'm already pissed that I had to pay property taxes uh, on top of you know that's the thing you could never own anything right i mean at one point i thought my dream was to go live outside an unincorporated area just so that i could actually own something and once i bought it and once it was paid for i could actually own it and sell you know i mean just think about it there are instances where for example you know properties and things like that that can be passed down to your children and things like that. But now you got to think about it. Now you got to think, well, if I pass this piece of trop this pro piece of property off to my children, are they going to be like recreational property? 
you know, like something like at uh, Big Lake or maybe Harding Lake up in Fairbanks or, you know, someplace down in. If you're going to leave something to your kids, the question is, are you going to burden them with an inordinate amount of property? I mean, you know, I mean, that like for Harding Lake, for example, I know that there's properties out there. Uh, you know, my family has owned all my family members, you know, aunts, uncles, grandparents. They've owned property out there for years. But do you, when you realize when you have to pay like, I don't know, between $500 and $1,000 a month in property taxes for a little tiny cabin or whatever, simply because the land is valuable. I mean, the structure may not be that valuable, but the land is valuable. But you got to pay $500 to $1,000 a month for the privilege of being able to have this piece of recreational property that you can use for three months? I mean, you know, so do you pass it on to your children or do you just cash it out and, and move? I mean, you know, it, it's those are the kind of decisions that you have to make. I mean, it's it, it is. It's immoral. It is. I don't know, it's just it's immoral. I just I can't think of another way to put it. That of all the way that you could, you know, fund government or tax somebody or do anything else, it may be the most easy, it may be the most equitable or, you know, whatever. The, but it's immoral. You will never own that. You could have paid for that place for 30 years ago. And maybe you do get a senior exemption now, or maybe you do get this or that. But the problem is, is if you're paying 13 or 14 percent of the value of the home every year in taxes, I mean, do you ever actually own it? You're three years away. You stop paying those taxes. You're three years away from being homeless. I mean, that's just. That's insane. So even if my, you know, <clears throat> this is a sore subject with me, and I didn't realize I was going to trigger myself by talking about this story. But this is why I am such a firm proponent of property rights in any way, shape, or form. Um, I mean, I'll be honest with you. If the borough had ever come out to my place and said, well, we see that you're in violation of, I'd be like, <laughs> get off my lawn. I don't send me a bill, which I will then ignore and then fight with attorneys. I will pay attorneys to fight people over that kind of stuff rather than pay the government. And I mean, I just, Oh, Oh, I'm so heated now. That is just the most irritating thing. And this is why, you know, every time I've tried to live somewhere, I've always tried to have a place where I had some property around me. I had some space around me just because I didn't want to bother the neighbors and I didn't want to be bothered by the neighbors. So the Karens couldn't say, well, you've got the, your flower planter isn't up to code. <laughs> Get off my lawn. Seriously, I'll light your ass up. Get off my lawn. I mean, that's just, whew, man, so irritating. You know, uh, is uh, you see, this is the worst part, though, is that the ori the orig origination of property tax, from my understanding, was that it was not simply over the value of the property; 
it was the tax was on the what you produced from the property because it was about farming and things like that, right? So or timber or lumber or whatever. As you basically started to have, you know, it was on your gains from the property. So the property could lay fallow for a couple of years. You wouldn't pay taxes. You put a harvest on it. <clears throat> you harvest, uh, you know, grain, corn, whatever, you know, snozberries, and you know, you sell them, and they that's where a portion of the that makes more sense than just the land is there and your home is there. That was the other thing. Your home, your home should be sacrosanct. Your home should be, you know, because you can't live without that. But now, no, you have to pay Uncle Sugar every month, every, you know, and they have to do it monthly because if you got to look at that bill at the end of the year, you'd be like, whoa. I mean, I pay property taxes on my piece of property in Fairbanks where my house burned down. There's still property there, right? Still got some stuff, got a garage, the whole thing, you know. But that, yeah, I still have to go pay. I still have to pay them whatever it is, two thousand bucks a year or something to own the property that I own free and clear. That has got no. There's no note on it. There's nothing. I don't even live there. I got to pay two thousand dollars a year for the privilege of having that piece of property. Well. <laughs> All right, we got to move on here because otherwise we're going to digress. We're going to digress. Did you catch the story about (laughs) – I I just – I just don't – I don't even – I don't even know. A friend sent me this. This actually first appeared uh, in the – uh, what was it? Was it the the Hill, the Daily Mail, the I can't remember now, which uh, which um, my lord, my phone is so annoying the last couple days, it just will not shut up. Um, here we go. Uh, it was from the Daily Beast. Prostitutes and bears sting operation snared big game hunting scheme. This is in. This is from Justin uh, Rorlich in uh, in the Daily Beast. Uh, the week long two person bear hunt cost sixty thousand dollars in Alaska. But if the client wanted to hire prostitutes to keep them company, as they waited out their prey, they could shell out another eighteen hundred dollar per evening. The bizarre pitch was part of what prosecutors say was an illicit years long scheme to get rich off illegal big game hunting advertised on Chinese language social media. So that was the first that was the first thing. The case starts back in uh, August of 21 when investigators discovered that 40-year-old June Harry Liang of Fairbanks was marketing illegal big game hunts in Alaska for wealthy Chinese clients. The the activities the activities involved bringing in clients, offering them sometimes at shooting ranges to learn how to shoot, promising that all the permits would be handled, their meat would be shipped to them. Uh, Liang and another guy, Brian Felan, would face, which is ironic, Felan, he faced felony charges, including money laundering, attempting to violate the Lacey Act, and wire fraud. Uh, Liang may face charges of illegal possession of firearms by an illegal or by an alien, with, uh, you know, a lawful alien. The investigators found that he was using a Chinese social media platform, which is known as the Little Red Book, that describes as China's foremost fashion and luxury shopping platform. Does this sound familiar? 
It's not Housewives of the Rich and Famous. It's not Housewives of Beverly Hills. It's the Housewives of Shijuang Province or something like that. He posted in Mandarin that his services as a big as a guide for big game hunts, specifically targeting Chinese speaking clients, uh, was all there and everything else. Uh, the entire plot was unraveled when a couple of clients that Liang snagged turned out to be undercover agents investigating the alleged illegal activities. I mean, I mean, this whole thing is just, you can't make this stuff up. And, uh, I mean, now the must read does not mention the, uh, does not mention the prostitute angle, but uh, the daily beast does. So, I mean, I'm just thinking this is Fairbanks. I mean, how do you, anyway, I don't even want to know. I just don't even want to know, but, uh, yep, here you are skirting all the rules. They took him to the South Cushman range to go shooting. It looks like, I mean, that's what, this is like South Cushman range photos in this picture. Uh, and, uh, but just all of today's work here in, uh, in little old Alaska. Oh, all right. You officially got me off the other one. What was the other thing? Oh, after a seven day trial, the Homer jury delivered a guilty verdict against Brett Herrick for an incident that took place last year in Anchor Point when he shot a, uh, state trooper. Um, and, uh, he, uh, he fired upon the trooper during the struggle, uh, and he fired five shots, uh, striking the trooper trooper. Then he turned his weapon on the second trooper who had just arrived in the scene. He was later captured and now he has been convicted of attempted murder. The jury found also all other counts that are brought against him, including three counts of assault, one account of assault, uh, three in the first degree, one account in the third degree and resisting arrest, two counts of violating conditions of release and the possession of the firearm and the bayonet. Uh, this guy was a hot, hot. Hot, hot. I mean, he looks, he's all methed up, apparently. Mess, meth, not messed up. He was all methed up because, uh, yeah, he looked he looked pretty rough when they got him on the, uh, on the chopping block there. All right, well, we're coming up on the break. I'm going to spend the last segment here this morning talking about how I agree with a bunch of the Democrats in the state and with Kathy Geisel, which, oh, gives me heartburn. This has been a day for heartburn. But sometimes you got to take a stand. You got to do what you got to do. And like I said, even a stop clock is right twice a day. We're going to talk about that on the other side. Don't go back anywhere. We're going to return the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. <clears throat> um, I'm going back up here to see what it says. I know a friend in Miami that pays $32,000 a year in property taxes. Oh, God. Okay. We should not. <laughs> it's, sorry, I'm just going, uh, I'm, just, I'm still going backwards. You guys are like, woof. Okay. 
the <clears throat> it's growing well beyond what it was during those days. It's largely driven, in my humble opinion, by federal dollars, which gave the borough the incentive to hire planners and professional meddlers, some of whom write grants to fund themselves. And that's there's a truth to that. There is a truth to that. I got you up on my 70-inch TV on YouTube and watching on my cell as I walk around the house. I'm tempted to turn up the phone on the TV and then call in to attempt to create an audio singularity. You don't want me to talk about it? <clears throat> Rick doesn't. Rick says you should not talk about property taxes this early in the morning. It makes a lot of us ill. Going to have to go take an Advil now. <laughs> oh, man. Um. A friend in Miami pays $32,000 a year in property taxes. Oh, my God. Uh, you can't expect to wield supreme power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. <laughs> this is a life of Brian quotes again. <laughs> oh, man. Um, um, okay. Um, going through here ba, 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 ba. bears and prostitutes or prostitutes and bears the story gets <laughs> wait when or prostitute bears well i'm assuming they weren't prostitute bears although if you were paying 1800 dollars a night for a prostitute bear wow i mean wow Yeah, five hundred dollars per sex, five hundred dollars per act. Optimistic for apparently these were all young Chinese men. You know what I mean? That's all I'm saying. Uh, okay. If you keep talking about taxes, I'm going to go outside and no, I saved myself because I was about to have an aneurysm. Um. <laughs> oh man. Um, how's that gasoline bill for the car? Medical services were decimated by Rona mandates. Um, nothing worse than Donna Arduin. Nothing worse than soggy Pop-Tarts. Um, or I'm sorry, tarts soaring. I, okay, I apologize. At least I knew it was a Monty Python reference. Re re reference? It was a reference. It was a Monty Python reference. Did you not know? I knew, may have not known which movie it was, but I knew it was on Monty Python reference. Uh, anyway, <laughs> can we get on that topic uh, instead of a high school banner? No. If you don't like it, turn it off. Shut your pie hole. Either way, doesn't matter to me. It's been so nice and quiet the last couple of days. Uh, isn't there a lane that needs to be swum? I'll be as juvenile as I want because, oh, wait, it's my name right here. Uh, yeah. How's that for juvenile? Um, all right. <laughs> oh, oh, my God, Robbie. Tarts are loose women's soggy. Sounds awful. <laughs> that is juvenile, but I, I enjoy it. <laughs> I enjoy it. Oh man. Oh. Man, we've had uh yeah, it's just but I did have to let the I had to let the property tax thing go because if I start thinking about it and ruminating on it, it just oh. 
makes my blood pressure just spike horribly. Not that there's anything we can do about it at this point, because everybody's like, well, how else are we going to fund the government? We can't, I mean, you know, what else are we going to do? We just, government's got it, you know. Mm. And just, just, you know. Mm. <sighs> it's humor, Donna. He doesn't get it. Don't worry about it. it. It's humor. He just, it goes right over his head. So don't, don't even fret about it. Um. <laughs> all right. We are getting ready to, uh... <laughs> oh, Bill. Yes. Britney Spears would be a pop tart. All right, we got to get back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. Like and follow. Do all the youtube and Facebook things and everything else. Let's, uh, let's proceed ahead, shall we? Let's get it all. Let's get it all done. Uh, oh, I'm early. I'm a little bit early. Like 10 seconds early. So <laughs> all this overlord business drives me nuts. I agree with you, Robbie. Here we go. Okay, welcome back. Final segment of hour one. Don't forget, coming up at the beginning of hour two here, in just about, oh, 20 minutes or so, we're going to be picking it up and talking with Nick Beggage, the third. Nick Beggage will be joining us to uh, talk about his candidacy for the U.S. House of Representatives. He's going to run against Mary Peltola in the upcoming election. And uh, I am ready to, uh, we're, we're ready to chat about that. So that'll be coming up in hour two here this morning. Meanwhile, whoo, man, I ran a, we, we ran amok through some of the stories. I didn't get to all of them. And, uh, but here is the latest one that um, I, is probably going to raise some of your eyebrows. Uh, because in this one, I agree with the um, 14 Alaska state legislators, uh, all Democrats except four, so 13 of them, um, and Kathy Geisel, although she is she really a Republican? Uh, it doesn't matter. I agree with them all, which <clears throat> gives me a little bit of heartburn, but it uh, it's a principled stance, and so I have to I have to agree with them on this. Now, for those of you who follow the program for any length of time, know that I am pro-life. I do not believe abortion is the way to go. I believe that it uh, it's harmful. I believe that it's murder. I believe that, you know, it, I have all my beliefs. I don't necessarily wear them on my sleeve, so we don't talk about it a lot here on the program, but it is something that I believe in profusely. At the same time, um, I'm a little concerned when I see things um, like this, uh, the Attorney General, Craig uh, Treg Taylor, joined 18 other Republican Attorney Generals last month in a letter calling on the federal government 
to preserve state government's access to private medical records. The access could be used to restrict access to abortion, gender transition care, things that I'm not in favor of. Don't get me wrong. Um, The attorney generals are opposed to a proposed federal rule that would prevent private medical records from being used against people for merely seeking, obtaining, providing, or facilitating lawful reproductive health care. Um, it goes on to talk about how Alaska abortion is not illegal in Alaska because of the right to privacy, uh, the rule, you know, all this other kind of stuff. Um, and Treg Taylor is quoted as saying, no, absolutely. We would not give ask whether Alaska plans to pursue information on abortion procedures in other states or whether Alaska would provide that information to other states. Treg Taylor said the answer is an emphatic no. OK, so if that's the case. Why did you sign on to this letter? Here's my whole point. Here's my whole argument against this. Why is the government involved in my private health care decisions? Forget about gender, what for abortion, forget about all that. Why is the government they are they are asking to retain access, meaning they already have it, which just already, you know, why? Would you fight to have more governmental power and more governmental interference and, you know, in in your private medical stuff? That is not government's business. That is not that. Well, but, you know, we could prosecute that. That to me, that part matters not. I mean, I, again, I oppose abortion. I oppose, you know, I'm not for the whole gender reassignment thing. I'm not, you know, it's not, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, but again, I don't wear it on my sleeve. And what I'm really concerned about is government overreach. And the fact that the state would have access to my, my wife's, my children's health care records and is now demanding that they be able to retain that access to my private healthcare records is very troubling to me because quite honestly that should be none of their business now i know again the argument's going to be made about you know people crossing state lines to do this and do <clears throat> can i point out that that's really what the uh can i point out that uh, uh that's exactly what the founders intended was that the states would be a basically the United States. Each state would be a Petri dish kind of its of its own creation that if, you know, one state had one thing that it didn't necessarily apply to all states. And so if you didn't like it there, you could move to another state. I mean, that was kind of the whole point. And so you've got states whose citizens have agreed and decided that, for example, abortion access should be legal or gender affirming care should be legal. And you've got other states that have it. But to prosecute people who move from one state or go from one state to an, that is, do you not understand the dangers of that kind of power in government? Sure, today it's about abortion. Tomorrow it could be about anything, freedom of speech, freedom of association, the right to keep and bear arms, the fact that what, that you would know that the state even has the power to have that already is kind of shocking. 
And um, and and the fact that you have a ostensibly conservative and Republican administration and attorney general. Who is asking to retain the right to pry into your private medical records. Is shocking. Where where are the smaller government conservatives? Where are the rest of the libertarians? The civil liber- the civil libertarians are already there. You know, where are the where is I mean, why are you not outraged that the state already has I mean, that's what got me. I didn't even realize that the state already had the power to pry into my medical records. And now they're they're fighting and arguing to be able to retain this? The proposed rule continues here. This is from the actual letter that was sent by Treg Taylor and company, 13, 18 other states, whatever. For over 20 years, health and social service regulations have regarded the privacy of the individual health information while permitting disclosure of information to state authorities to protect public health, safety and welfare. So if you got something or you got, you know, you they can disclose it to the state. Impl- no, no. I am not interested in participating in that. And why are you not outraged? I know why you're not outraged because, well, it's about abortion. Well, yes, it's about abortion, but can you realize that these all these issues are multifaceted and one thing that could be used to hammer down on one sub, uh, subject that you're opposed to could also be used to hammer down on something else that you're in support of? Giving the government that much brute force power is a mistake. I mean, again, what could be used for good could be used for ill. You know, any rule or law that you think that a Republican leader should have, then a Democratic leader can then take it later on. Or, I mean, I'm just using labels, but that's the problem. The whole problem is that you've given the government too much power to begin with. And he wants to, you know, retain that power. I'm I'm with the Democrats on this. I'm with the Democrats and and Kathy Geisel on this. And she actually has she I think she has a very good quote here. She said she was stunned when she first learned of Treg Taylor's position. And she goes on to say, health information is about the closest personal property that anyone has. We're all Americans and personal property is a key right that we all hold. I'm pro-life, but this crosses the line. That's exactly how I feel. We are in total agreement, Kathy, you and me. Look, we found some common ground. I mean, are you not outraged by this? Are you not outraged by the fact that the government already has, you know, actionable access to your private, but now they're fighting to retain it? (laughs) This is the dumbest thing ever. I mean, that's, I mean, that just it is the dumbest thing ever. And we should be, we should be aghast about what's happening in this. That not only are we allowing the government already, that we are fighting to retain that right. That conservative 
quote-unquote, conservative administrations are fighting to retain the right of state government to pry into your personal matters and private affairs. And you cheer them on. You wonder why the wheels are coming off the bus. Quit looking to govern. Okay. Well, that uh, brings us up to the break. We are going to return uh, in just a few moments. Um, We're going to return with a candidate for U.S. House, Nick Baggage. He'll be joining us in hour two. The Michael Duke Show, uh, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Don't forget tomorrow, Firearms Friday. Yeah, baby. We'll be uh, we'll be talking about some good guns and stuff. We'll return uh, here in just a moment, though, with hour two. Don't go anywhere. not to get worked up today this is this has been a day greg's like woof i see you're wound tight just he just got here yeah you missed some good you missed some good stuff i mean we missed some good stuff here um let me go back here and uh see what else you guys got um once the camel gets its nose, well, come on. Once the camel gets its nose under the tent flap, it's on your pillows and sand fleas everywhere, and all the government is always trying to insert itself into your life, says Jeffrey. I mean, you're not wrong. You're you're not wrong. That's part of the problem. And why anybody on the right would applaud this move by the attorney general is beyond me. Why would you want to give the state more power? more access to your private information. Why would you fight back against that? Again, folks, sometimes people on the other side, sometimes they have a good idea. This was one of those good ideas. Donna says, this is coming from the same government that would help light-saving COVID medications and that uses state funds to pay for abortions. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. Just going through, I'm just going through some of the, uh, going through some of the comments here. All right. (laughs) Protect public health and welfare. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. What are you talking about? Harold is, I don't know. Um, okay. 
Guess I slept in. Did I miss anything, says Greg. Welcome to the party, pal. Uh, it's going to be good. Oh, man. Um, all right. I guess we're up here. Um, Anthony says, it reminds me of a quote I heard. The only difference between a carpenter and a serial killer is what he cho- is what he chooses to hit with his hammer. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're not wrong, right? I mean, you're not, you're not wrong technically, but I mean, why should the state government, I mean, why would the attorney general be fighting for the right for the state to be able to dig into your private medical records? That makes no sense whatsoever. Again, the Democrats are right on this. Kathy Geisel's right on this. I mean, why would you be okay with that? Well, because it's for abortion. Well, it's for abortion now. What if it's for something else later? What if it's for something else going on in your like, you know, uh, again, the same government that wouldn't allow you to to seek your own homeopathic remedies or horse dewormer or whatever else you wanted to do for COVID? I mean, wouldn't allow you to do that, penalize you for doing that. What if it became illegal and they wanted to put you in jail because you got you went out and got ivermectin? Right? Well, but that would shut up. Why are you giving government more power? Makes no sense whatsoever. All right. uh, Before I get more wound up, let me uh, jump over here and we will uh, be joined by our guest this morning, uh, Nick Begich. We're going to check some audio and sound before we jump back on the radio. And here he is this morning. Good morning, my friend. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? You know, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, you all, uh, you all ready for this morning? I am ready. We pick, I'm ready to do it. Picked a hell of a day to do this because I'm a little wound up. I don't know if you've been. I love it. I've been listening. Oh, as I say, I don't know if you've been listening, but man, you may want to step back a little bit here because I'm about to explode. <laughs> uh, between the pri- between the whole private property rights thing and the property tax debacle, and the fact now that we've got an attorney general that is begging that the state retain more power to dig into people's private records is just, it's astonishing. It's just astonishing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, anyway, um, good. You sound good. You look good. We're all good. We're ready to go. And, uh, we're going to jump back into this here in about 90 seconds. Okay. So I'll put you back in the, uh, I'll put you back in the green room for a moment and we will kick, kick things off in just, uh, just a hot second. So, uh, Nick Begich is our guest and we're going to, uh, we're going to (laughs) continue. Greg's like, well, that opened up a huge can of worms. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, there are a few things that I am immediately very passionate about. And I kind of try and keep it all like pressed down. I try not to think about those things sometimes because I can get really agitated about it. Uh, but there's a limited amount of things that I can do about it. So it's not healthy for me to focus on for too long. <laughs> but property taxes and governmental interference and right to privacy, that's something else that just woof, woof. All right. So uh, anyway, uh, here we go. Getting ready to do it. Uh, folks, thank you so much, by the way, for those of you who, um, in case you hadn't heard, uh, we did hit YouTube Partner. Uh, we were able to join the YouTube Partner program thanks to your uh, subscriptions on YouTube. So you're ringing the, subscribing and ringing the bell on YouTube. I appreciate all of you who, uh, all of those uh, who uh, went out there and, and did that in the last few days. 
I appreciate that. We're now part of the partner program and we're working our way towards the next level of partner. Um, and I'm excited about that. So thank you. Thank you for your support. I appreciate it. And of course, now you can send super stickers and super chats and things like that on YouTube. You can also do stars on Facebook if you want to help support the show that way. Whatever you want to do. It's not, nothing's required. It's just options. All right, we got to go. We should ask Nick Baggage about the planters. The planters in Homer. We're going to ask him about that, I'm sure. That'll be one of my big questions. Here we go. Buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning and welcome back to the program. Thanks for coming in and being part of it. It is just another beautiful day here in uh, South Central. And by beautiful, I mean cloudy and rainy, uh, although it's supposed to get – it rained so hard last night, it was blowing water through my sc- – I had my window open a few inches, and it was blowing water through my screen, my mosquito screen, onto the – I was like, what the uh, – I don't know. I'm waiting for summer to arrive. Those those three days of summer we've had so far have been fantastic. Can we get a little more? I digress. Let's jump into it here and uh, get started today. In this hour, uh, we're jumping back to the national level, and we're going to talk about politics uh, at the uh, at the next election cycle. Uh, this time with the U.S. House of Representatives. Joining me this morning to discuss is brand new candidate. Well, he's not. He's an older. He's what's what's old is new again coming back to us and joining us is uh, nick baggage the third who has decided one week ago today announced that he is now running for the u.s house of representatives against uh, the incumbent mary peltola and he joins us this morning to talk about uh, his candidacy what's been happening in the last year and more good morning my friend how are you I'm doing well, Michael. How are you doing this morning? You know, no complaints. I mean, I'm trying to keep my blood pressure to a minimum. You said you were listening earlier, and I apologize for spitting on the microphone. But, I mean, I'm just (laughs) – I get so frustrated when I see – you know, I mean, this is a federal rule. Maybe you can comment on it, but, I mean, this federal rule that is basically seeking to eliminate states' access to medical files for people – Now, we know that the reason that the Biden administration is doing it is because they don't want states to punitively chase down people who go to another state for abortions. But my whole point is I don't care why they're doing it. It's a good thing because it's taking more power away from government being able to dig into 
my private life, your private life, my wife, daughter, sisters, cousins, whoever's private life. And I think anything that restricts the power of government, in my opinion, regardless of the genesis of it, is not a bad thing. I, I agree. I, I actually, I don't think the government should have any of your medical records. Right. And uh, they shouldn't be storing that information. We already know through several um, events that have occurred over the last five, 10 years, you know, the government can't be trusted with records like these. We see situations where they've got veterans medical records and uh, financial data for taxpayers. And this information conveniently leaks out or is hacked and uh, is out there on the dark web circulating. And this is, these are people's private lives. The government has uh, no business digging into this information, storing this information, sharing this information in, in my view. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, to me, this is an issue of governmental overreach and privacy. Uh, again, I'm pro-life. I, I don't, you know, I'm, but at the same time, when an idea is right, there's a reason why it's right. Because anything that they're using now against, you know, the, the pro-life champions are going, yes, 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 keep that right. Later on, it could be turned against you. Like I said, it could have been during COVID. They could have found out that you took ivermectin or did some other kind of procedure that they didn't approve of, and then they could have deemed you a safety risk to the public and everything. I mean, it's just, it's insane. Or again, your first amendment rights, your, you know, your rights to association, your rights to, you know, firearms, your, all these things. If they've got all that information at any time, you know, they can dig into you and, and there's, a, there's, you know, hundred thousand different laws and regulations on the books. They can throw the book at you. Well, all these things are precedent setting and it's a slippery slope. You, you open the door and, uh, and and wedge that door open and the government will use that as an opportunity to dig into all manner of, uh, of private of private issues for the individual. And we we cannot allow the government to um, to gain that kind of leverage over the individual citizen. We've got enough of those problems as it is, quite frankly. Um, I agree. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, you go ahead for folks. What? Yeah. For folks, for folks who remember, uh, some of the leaks, I think it was about now, maybe 10 years ago, um, from Edward Snowden and some of the information that, uh, we learned at that time that the government was storing every email, every text message, a copy of every electronic transmission being stored, able to be used later to go back and uh, retroactively uh, get a warrant on people. Um, the government's already storing way too much information about the individual citizen. And uh, and I've frankly, and I, I mentioned this in the last campaign, but I'm a supporter of, um, of an updated sort of digital bill of rights right. for folks um, that would protect uh, the American citizens private information in the modern day right well and for folks who don't know your your background is in you know is in data and tech and the internet cybersecurity that kind of I mean that's part of your background so you've got you've got some you've got some history behind you on this one right I mean again I don't think the federal government is known for its cybersecurity prowess. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right. I, I've I've spent about 25 years in technology as a career, and uh, it's clearly something that I'm passionate about. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a vast space. There there's a great deal of of information and and uh, and technology, and the rate at which that evolves is is absolutely incredible, especially with what we're dealing with with AI right now. Right. But um, 
but these are big challenges. I mean, there there are so many sort of frontiers that are opening up uh, on the on the technical side, and government has not been able to keep up with uh, uh, these these changes. And I think it's important when we think about the people that we send into Congress, uh, these folks have an understanding and ability to uh, to grasp what's around the corner and make sure that the rights uh, that we value as Americans are protected moving forward. Well, I didn't mean to dump you right into the deep end of the pool on the first question. So let's uh, <laughs> let me backtrack here and talk with you a little bit. Uh, for folks who don't know you, Nick Beggage, you obviously were a candidate uh, for both the special election and the general election after Don Young passed away. Uh, your family has been here for a long time and everything. But give us a little bit of a background, who you are, where you are, where you came from, for those who live under a rock and weren't paying attention. And then <laughs> and then let's talk about uh, why you've decided to throw your hat in the ring again. So start with a little bit about yourself. Yeah, quick, quick background um, from Alaska, originally third generation Alaskan. Um, Parents split up when I was young, ended up uh, growing up with my grandparents, middle school and high school down in Florida, and uh, was raised conservative. A lot of people, uh, even now, uh, ask, you know, how did you end up to be a Republican? You're, you're from a family of Democrats. Well, there's two sides of every family. And uh, yes, my father's side, and there's quite a few Democrats over there. My mother's side, uh, strong Republican conservatives. And so that's how I was raised. Um, Went to Baylor uh, undergrad for a, a business degree down in Texas, focused in entrepreneurship and um, asked my girlfriend's dad if we could get married. He said, not until you get a master's degree. So I went back right away, got an MBA with a focus in IT and uh, decision sciences and ended up at Ford Motor Company in Dearborn, Michigan as a technology manager there and um, managed uh, large projects at Ford and decided I wanted to move back to Alaska. This was almost 20 years ago. Um, started a software development company and, uh, and have been involved in tech. I've been involved in mining. I've been involved in, uh, real estate and a, and a host of other, um, projects and endeavors. But, um, look, I decided to, to run for Congress, uh, again, because I just don't believe that, uh, we're a blue state. I think that, um, Alaska is more conservative than the current representative that we have in Congress. And, uh, and I think we need to, to address that. I think we need to correct that. And uh, this is an opportunity to do so. Now, you ran the race uh, last time. Some interesting things, of course, uh, occurred there. The first time we had the jungle primary, the first time we had ranked choice voting, I mean, it was like 48 candidates in the special election primary. And I think it was over 40 in the, in the general um, a bunch of different candidates, um, and uh, it caused some challenges. Uh, interestingly enough, in the final race between uh, you and Mary Peltola and Sarah Palin and Chris By, uh, the Libertarian, which <clears throat> I'll be honest with you, that was my first choice uh, because, and that was the one thing that I was happy about in ranked choices that I actually got to vote cleanly. And clearly, because I wanted to vote for one, but you were definitely right up there close to number one in my second choice, you know. But it was interesting because the numbers all prove out that if you had edged Palin just a little bit or if she had – that her second choice votes would have been – that you would have won. You would have beaten Mary Peltola. Uh, so this ranked choice voting thing seems to be working as intended um, and keeping it out. Uh, so that was one thing. So I don't know, being a year out from the deadline for filing, we don't know who else is going to be there. 
But if uh, there are no other big names, I think you've got a big choice. And you pointed out in an interview or a, a comment that I saw in one of the uh, news articles that now you have uh, you'll have a full voting record under, you know, Mary Peltolo have a full voting record and you'll be able to say, see, uh, this is what I would have done. You, you have a voting record to run against. That's right. You, you know, there was no opportunity to provide that kind of contrast in the last election cycle. And as you ran through some of the <laughs> wild events from that race, that it was it was probably the craziest race that we've seen in the state's history. That that was that was that was uh, a difficult race to follow, probably uh, for the, for those watching. And it was certainly a difficult race to run. But um, yeah, we. I started early this time. I think it's important uh, that um, that folks have an opportunity to contrast the the, the candidates that are in the race. You're 100 percent right. There's a record now, a record that Mary Peltola has got to defend. And uh, already we're seeing some. I couldn't believe this. I had to look this up. Someone told me um, that uh, that Mary Peltola has voted 98 percent of the time with Ilhan Omar. 95% of the time with AOC, 93% of the time with Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, we elected a member of the squad, it looks like. And I just don't think that's reflective of most Alaskans' values. Right. And that's one of the artifacts of, of ranked choice. I don't think that this was um, something that, that, that most of us realized when it showed up on the ballot, that you had this ballot exhaustion problem. And uh, and just a quick comment. You mentioned Chris by great guy. Great yeah. guy. I wish we had more people like him that were engaged in the political process. Um, but, you know, we uh, we've got an opportunity to consolidate uh, support, I think, as you mentioned, with 48 candidates in the race uh, at one point. Very difficult for folks to, to go through each individual and say, okay, what, what are the pros and cons? Let's build this massive matrix of uh, pluses and minuses for each candidate. Very hard to do when you've got that many people in a race. Right, absolutely. Uh, we're talking with Nick Begich, who is a candidate for the U.S. House of Representatives. I guess that's a good stopping point. We're going to take a quick break, and we will uh, come back here in just a moment. Uh, we'll be talking about the big issues facing the state, what he sees as being some of the big problems. Uh, I want to also talk to him specifically about the amount of debt. If you've seen the latest numbers, $1.7 trillion in debt occurred, uh, uh, incurred in just the last, <clears throat> excuse me, six and a half months. And now uh, borrowing $5 billion a second uh, in, uh, in the U.S., I want to talk about Social Security and Medicaid and, or Medicare and some of the other issues as well. Defense. We're going to hit them all. Nick Beggage is our guest. Almost said Mark. Nick Beggage is our guest. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, Nick Beggage is our guest. Isn't that weird? It's just like it was in the back of my head. I almost said, 
You know, it's it's. I guess it's a blessing and a curse, right, Nick? The the baggage legacy. Well, yeah, um, because it, 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 it's so hard. Yeah. You know, when you, I mean, I I think one of the times that I interviewed, I actually did say Mark Baggage on the air. You know, just because it's a name that's been with you. The baggage name has been there forever, and I'm sure it's probably one of the biggest things you face is that you've got one of the more liberal U.S. senators that has been there has been your uncle, and yet you know here you are. I'm sure that's one of the biggest things you face. It, it, I think it was last the last election cycle. I think uh, a lot of folks have come to appreciate my perspective. I'm an, I'm my own individual, but I'm I'm not going to misrepresent. I mean, it is an issue. I bump into people all the time, and and it probably happens at least once every couple of days. I'll be in a conversation. Someone will literally call me, call me by my uncle's name or another name. I look. look yeah. What can you do? I just, yeah. we just move on. You got to yeah. move on, you know, uh, but it is refreshing. You and I have had several conversations and it's always refreshing to, uh, to talk with you. And it, it is nice to see that there's a black sheep in every family, right? <laughs> to see, it's good to know that a, a family. Well, is- I'll tell you what, you want to talk about a black sheep. Now, my dad, now a lot of people think my dad is Mark. My, my dad is not Mark. My dad is Nick. And uh, you want to talk about a black sheep. He's, he's been a member of the AIP. Right. Last yeah. Independence Party. He's been a he's been a libertarian. Yeah. Uh, he is. Uh, he's a free thinker, let's say that. Yeah. No, I mean, I don't always agree with your dad. And he has had some interesting conversations on national radio. <laughs> let's talk about that. But, uh, you know, it's we can't always you know, we can't always choose who we uh, who we're related to. Like you can't choose Mark or Tom or whatever. Uh, right, and, right, and sometimes, but it's it's always good to see uh, some diversity of ideas and idea and diversity of thought on this. Um, you know, you have uh, somebody asked in the chat room. Um, uh, Politidic says you lost four times against Sarah Palin, which technically is true, both primaries and the special general. Blah blah blah. Um, what can you say to convince all of her voters that you are a better candidate to vote for? Well, first of all. I think you're in it for the right reasons. That's my personal opinion instead of glory and, and, you know, popularity, but I don't see her jumping back into this quite honestly. Uh, but what, what do you say to her voters uh, that were there? I mean, many, again, the numbers proved out that if she had been eliminated, all of her, most of her second place votes would have gone to you. So obviously people are already thinking that Nick baggage is, you know, right up there with Sarah Palin. But what do you say to her voters if she doesn't jump back in the race? Why are you a better candidate? Well, let me let me first start by saying I uh, I respect Sarah. I have no uh, ill will at all toward Sarah Palin. She was doing what she believed was right. I was doing what I believed was right. That's what candidates you know hopefully are doing when they get in a race. Uh, it's very serious uh, in terms of uh, the future of our state, how we're represented, how people think about Alaska and perceive Alaska in the Congress. And, um, you know, I take I take that very seriously. And to, to those who put Sarah Palin first on their ballot, I would just say, look, um, Sarah and I are members of the same party. We subscribe to the same platform. Uh, we are both Republicans and I am very interested. I continue to be uh, strongly interested in making sure that Alaska is properly represented in the Congress, that we've got a serious voice a voice that's persuasive. I think one of the things that's important uh, as we head to the polls in a, in, the, in a year, we start to think about, it's not just enough to be a cheerleader for Alaska. You can't just be an advocate for Alaska. 
That's not enough because every member of Congress in the Congress is there to represent their district. And what you've got to be able to do is you've got to be so persuasive about Alaska that you make Alaska someone else's priority. Of course, it's your priority, but it's got to be so important that it's someone else's priority. And that's that's my objective in the Congress to I, make Alaska the Congress's priority. I like to hear it. All right. Uh, uh, Nick Begich, the third, our guest. We're going to continue here. Uh, we're about 10 seconds out. Please like and share, like and follow. Uh, if you share the show, more people get involved. We'd like to see it. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. Jumping back into it right now. Ready? Go. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. It is a pinch, man. I mean, it depends. I got big hands. It could be a large. I don't. All right. Never mind. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Our guest today is uh, Nick uh, Baggage, uh, who is coming in to talk with us about his run for the U.S. House of Representatives next year. I mean, you're. You're way ahead of the power curve here, Nick. I mean, this is like the deadline is like a year from now for filing, and uh, you're 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 jumping in right bright and early and getting getting the nose on. Why? First of all, why did you jump in so early? Then let's talk about some of the biggest issues that you think are facing Alaska, but obviously also the nation. So why did you jump in so early and then move on? Yeah. So uh, after the election, I went down to D.C. I went down in January. And I went down again late April, early May. And I met with Republican House leadership uh, down there. I met with uh, the NRCC, which is the, the Congressional Committee for Republicans, uh, and several other uh, groups that support conservatives uh, in their run for uh, office. And look, the, here's the situation. Um, I asked every single one of these folks, does Alaska matter to you? Honestly, does Alaska matter to you? There's 435 seats in the House. Is Alaska a priority? And what I was told was Alaska as a congressional district, because remember, we just have one member in the House. So we're a congressional district as a state. They said, as a district, Alaska is the reddest congressional district that's currently occupied by a Democrat. And getting the Alaska seat back into the, the majority is an absolute priority. This is going to uh, be one of the most challenging races in the country next year. And for folks uh, who are serious about running for this seat, you got to get in early because there's, a, I hate to say it, but there's a huge amount of money in politics. We know that huge amount of money in politics. And, and the race has already started for Mary. She's been uh, raising, uh, I think she's already raised uh, 800,000 or maybe close to $900,000 just this year. And uh, you can't wait until June next year to, to get involved. There, there won't be the resources to run a full-throated campaign available if someone's waiting that long. So uh, because this race is so critically important for the nation, it's so critically important for the state, and because really the race has already started, uh, 
it was important to get in early. What what are the biggest issues you think that are facing um, Alaska, but also then tie that back to the biggest issues facing uh, the country? Because I think there's some that they have in common, some that are not necessarily in common. I mean, you said you went down there. Obviously, we're one district out of 400 plus, you know. But what are the yep. biggest issues in your mind facing Alaska? Uh, how, how, you know, what would you how would you deal with them? And how does that tie into the problems facing the nation? It's a great question. You know, I think as it relates specifically specifically to Alaska, um, we are currently decoupling a lot of our supply chain from China. A lot of the a lot of the manufacturing supply chain is pivoting out of China and it's going to um, two two places. One, allies they call it friend shoring, where you're pulling some of those those uh, supply chains back into places like Mexico, certain areas of uh, Europe, etc. And um secondly domestically right so it's become very clear that as it relates to national defense and national security and uh basic economic security we've got to have fully integrated supply chains for manufacturing inside the borders of the united states and look supply chains begin with raw materials and Alaska has nearly every critical mineral on the critical minerals list. Uh, we've got base metals, we've got rare earths, we've got precious metals. We have all the resources or largely the resources that we need in order to begin to those domestic supply chains in the United States. So as it relates to a national issue that connects to Alaska, I think this is the most germane issue for us moving forward. We're at a pivot point in Alaska. We have a determination to make. What role are we going to play over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years in the United States? Are we just going to be a nice place to visit or are we going to be able to do more? We need to be able to do more. The nation needs Alaska and Alaskan resources. And I think that's the biggest issue uh, facing Alaska over the next several years. I mean, I would agree. I think that that is uh, important to be more self-sufficient. If COVID showed us anything, it showed us the fragility of the supply chain uh, globally. Uh, you know, the incurrence and the uh, the appearance of just-in-time delivery and a lot of these other processes that uh, were very, you know, monetarily very profitable for different places and things like that made a lot of sense. But again, that cascade effect is uh, problematic when we saw one thing close down, it immediately caused more and more things down the chain to close down. And we started to understand that, that, you know, one little blip can cause some serious issues, especially uh, when probably the only superpower that we have to fear per se would be China. And we have outsourced most of our resource development and manufacturing to them that yes, bringing them into other players, other parts of the country, other countries that are more friendly to us, definitely makes more sense. How would you as an Alaskan legislator uh, or as the Alaskan legislator in the House, how would you, uh, you know, put, put forward any kind of initiative or what would be your plan? Yeah, I think we've got to, we've got to continue to leverage aspects of existing legislation where we can. So, for example, the Defense Production Act, um, there, was a, there was a significant uh, level of support provided to Graphite One this past week is an example uh, that, that, that allows them to more quickly generate their feasibility study for graphite mining up uh, near Nome. 
Uh, we need to be doing more of those sorts of things. Uh, there are a lot of things that you can that can be done under existing legislation, um, but it requires advocacy, right? Someone's got to be there, uh, making sure people understand what's ready, what's shovel ready uh, in Alaska. And then it's about, and I would propose this, uh, an Alaska plan, an Alaska carve-out. There's been a lot of Alaska carve-outs moved through Congress in the past. Um, but we need to be doing something big that recognizes the uniqueness of Alaska and Alaskan resources. Uh, when you go back uh, to some of the older legislation um, that we contend with today, things like ANILCA, right? That was an Alaska carve out specifically for Alaska, legislating Alaska and Alaska lands. And uh, I think ANILCA needs to be um, substantially revised at a minimum. Um, these lands need to be opened back up. Uh, and what is interesting, if you go back to the Carter administration when that bill uh, was constructed and passed, what you would note is that the, the boundaries of many of the parks that were created under those uh, pieces of legislation were actually drawn in such a way as to take off the table some of the most promising mineral prospects in the state intentionally right. by those on the left. And uh, they've locked up our resources, and we've got to we've got to go back to the drawing board in a bipartisan fashion, by the way, and open these things up. And folks will say, "Well, how are you going to get the left to agree with that?" Look, there is there is a duplicity in the green movement, and the duplicity is this: How can you? responsibly utilize the resources that you need in order to operate all these electric vehicles and these batteries that are being produced when you know full well that those resources are being extracted from jurisdictions that have virtually no environmental oversight whatsoever. Right, right. right? Exactly. Yeah. These are people that claim to care about the earth. How can you care about the earth knowing that these things are being extracted in some of the worst conditions on the planet. You know that it can be done well here. You know that it will be done well in Alaska. These people should be champions of doing this work here. Yeah. No, not I, not yeah. sweeping this this the you know the detritus under the rug under someone else's house. No, I because that's what's going on right now. I agree with that 100%. I've always find that counterintuitive to think that these people who are warriors for the environment would fight tooth and nail with any kind of reasonable and sound and safe uh, development inside the United States when they know that in China and other places, they're just ripping open pit mines, mercury flowing every, I mean, you know, all the kind of stuff that we see. It just, it astounds, uh, astounds me. You're talking about carve outs and somebody in the chat room poses a great question, which I had an argument with about, uh, with Don Young about probably 15 years ago. And that is, what about the Jones Act? What about a carve-out for the Jones Act? I mean, Alaska <clears throat> is one of a couple different places that is truly impacted by that. Uh, Alaska, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, we are all severely uh, impacted by the Jones Act. Uh, and the fact that we, you know, we can only have U.S. flagships, and it really puts a real hindrance on trade, on the supply line, and everything else. What are your thoughts on the Jones Act? You're 100% right. And I will tell you, and for those watching on Facebook or listening on the radio, I took, I got to use some language appropriate for the medium. Um, I took heck from, uh, <laughs> from the shipping industry in the last uh, 
last election cycle, they were very upset because I believe that the Jones Act should be repealed. I think it's a hidden tax on Alaskans. Um, and, uh, and it was actually put in place. It was supposed to be temporary. It was supposed to be a temporary act, but like most acts in government, once they go in, you try like heck to get it out. You're not going to get it out. Um, but it was, it was put in place largely to protect shipping routes from competition as it related to Alaska and Puerto Rico. Well, and shipbuilders, uh, right? It was, it, this is a direct subsidy, government subsidy to American shipbuilders. And that's it, right. It, it hasn't done what it was intended to do. It was intended to protect no. that kind of stuff. And instead, it's passed on this enormous cost to American taxpayers and consumers. Well, it, not only is it, has it passed on an enormous cost, but it actually makes the shipbuilding industry in the long run less competitive. You know, it, it, it prevents uh, us from adapting in the ways that competition allows you to adapt over time. And so we actually build far fewer ships today than we did when the Jones Act went into place to supposedly protect the shipbuilding industry. Right. And uh, I think if we were to approach this from a free market perspective, there'd be a way to smartly phase this out and uh, and open ourselves up to some competition, healthy competition that would allow us to actually thrive. Because actually, I believe that the American worker and American business wins with innovation. That's one of the things that defines American industry yep. is innovation. No. And when you open things up to uh, the forces of competition, we win because we have a better approach. And uh, that has proven to be true over and over again. Right. And I believe that it would be true again here. Oh, it stifles innovation. I mean, it totally stifles innovation. And we've seen the Jones Act be suspended. I mean, during times of trouble and, and things like that, we've seen them just go, oh, well, we'll waive that for X number. Just waive the whole thing forever. I mean, it was supposed to be temporary. It's over. It's like 1904, right? It's like 100 years, 100 plus years. It's yeah, 100 been, years. 100, yeah, 100 plus. Uh, it's supposed to be temporary. We're still footing the bill. Our consumers, U.S. consumers are still footing the bill for all that crazy stuff. All right. What else is, uh, <clears throat> we got about two minutes here. What else are some of the big issues you think that are facing the nation that you can help affect that obviously would also help Alaska? Well, I'll tell you, you touched on it a moment ago, and I hope we can come back to it after the break. But this issue of the national debt is something that I'm very passionate about. I think um, what we're seeing right now, we actually, I believe this happened in the last few weeks, um, the payments for just the interest on the debt, just the interest on the debt have now exceeded the national defense budget. Now, that is that is an unprecedented situation that we find ourselves in and we're about to send the nation into an unrecoverable debt spiral the only way that we're going to be able to handle this is either through austerity dramatic austerity or inflation and the government so far has chosen the inflation route um, interest rates are rising like crazy as they try to slow things down but it has this effect you raise those rates and all of that government debt gets refinanced at a higher rate. And we have these, these excessive uh, interest payments and yeah. it's not gonna get any better. And unfortunately, a lot of the Congress doesn't understand the basic math 
and the consequences of the decisions that they're making <laughs> because they're only thinking about one election cycle ahead instead of right. what happens in the nation 20 and 30 years from now. No, it's like they're divorced from basic arithmetic. You know, it's like a, <laughs> yes. arithmetic doesn't math don't matter at this point. Uh, $1.7 trillion of accumulated debt in the first six and a half months of the of the of the year, the fiscal year so far. We are now borrowing over five billion dollars a second. Uh, another five. There goes another five. Uh, there goes another five. Five billion dollars a second we're borrowing in this nation. And somebody thinks that that can just continue. It's uh, it's astonishing. We'll talk about the debt and uh, Social Security and Medicaid or Medicare and some of the other issues here when we return. Nick Begich is our guest. We will be back in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Make sure you check us out on Facebook as well if you want to come join the conversation. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. We'll be back with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Hundred percent pure beard power. <clears throat> oh my gosh, these these little outtakes that you do that they make me laugh so hard. Yeah, that is. <laughs> I got a, I got a couple of them. Uh, my favorite one is the one about the uh, we're all the most listened to radio show in Juno by staff because they were told to by their bosses. Um, uh, Nick, uh, you know the interesting thing about this is Mary Peltola did a very good job of trying to walk the line in the public eye in the initial election of saying. She's pro-development, she's pro-guns, she's pro-this, she's pro-that. Yet at the same time, her voting record, I just don't see her voting to open up Alaska to more resource development. I don't see her voting to, you know, to protect, you know, subsistence fishing and a lot of these other things um, that, you know, she she said she was going to do, especially when you look back at her voting record and see that she's been in alignment with some of the most liberal members of the of the Congress. Um, it's, I mean, that's a good place to differentiate. Don't you think? hundred percent. And here's the thing. She will continue to try to walk that line because this is, this is one of the unintended, con maybe it's intended, but unintended consequences of ranked choice voting. If you don't have anyone for her, if she doesn't have anyone to her left, she's able to run as far to the right as she wants. And so whether these positions accurately reflect how she actually, what she believes her political campaign will run that campaign as far to the right as she can get away with without losing her base. And this is the politics of ranked choice voting. If you think the Democrats are gonna put someone else in next to Peltola, no way, never gonna happen, right? Never gonna happen. And so what occurs is that any other candidate is fighting over the remaining voter base. And that is what happened last time. And it, and it is a huge distraction from the true contrast, which should be between uh, the candidate on the far left, Mary Peltola, and the common sense conservative alternative to her. And um, that's another reason why I think it's important uh, to get in early, uh, to draw that contrast, to, to force her to talk about her record, force her to have uh, clear policy positions on 
the projects and opportunities that are important for the state, uh, because otherwise that's just not going to happen. And uh, it didn't ha it didn't happen in the last election cycle. We need to make sure that it happens this time, because as you pointed out earlier, she's got a record and she needs to be able to defend it. And I don't think she's going to yeah. be able to. Well, the last election was more about personalities than it was about real philosophies. I mean, that's what it got down to. It got down to personalities instead of what was the true scope and measure of what of the philosophies that were there. And you're right. I mean, she was there was nobody to the left of her. I mean, really, it was that she was the only candidate. <clears throat> and I think that's the point of ranked choice voting is because the Democrats have been very good historically in many races. And you could look at this at local borough races and city races and things like that. They're very good at kumbaya and come together and staying on message and only putting up. Very rarely do you see multiple Democrats running for the same seat in any district, uh, House or Assembly or anything else. What you see mostly, because conservatives are really kind of rugged individualists, and they're like, we don't play well with others. And so you'll get a handful of conservatives in a race like that, and they'll shoot the hell out of each other during a primary season or whatever else. And the, and the one with the least bullet holes drags himself to the finish line in the primary and the Democrats all fresh and like, woohoo, you know, kind of thing. And, and that's part of the problem. And that's, that's what, it, that's what ranked choice voting exacerbates. Cause what we'll have is we'll have one progressive and we'll have three different flavors of conservatism basically in the, in the top four and you guys will all duke it out and maybe the best one make but or not. But it just it's or like we just saw with the whole Sarah Palin thing, they'll just vote for, you know, whoever. Uh, a lot of people were just not Palin, right? Never Palin. And you can't defend your voters necessarily. But I know a big thing was a lot of your second place voters were like, nope, <laughs> they just they just, you know, they voted for somebody else. And that's uh, well, that's a problem. It is a problem. It's a it's a big problem. And, and, you know, the the voter record came out a few weeks after the election. Right. The Division of Elections released that and was analyzed by people smarter than I am um, who went through the entire thing. And look, that would have been an issue no matter who, particularly in the uh, in the general election, no matter who had finished first, second or third, whatever order that was still a problem. And uh, there were a lot of people uh, who just ticked one and said, I'm done. I'm not, I don't, maybe they didn't like ranked choice voting. They didn't like the other candidates they had, but it creates this ballot exhaustion effect where the ballot in that instance stops counting. It just stops counting. And uh, it creates this downstream effect where that the math, it's a little weird, but the denominator falls, right? So it gets easier for people to get to that 50% plus one number. And it's a it's far more complicated in practice than it looks on paper. Um, and so, you know, we've got to we've got to make sure that everyone is is ranking this time. Uh, look, I've not been a proponent of the system in the past, but it's yeah. what we have right now. We've got to use it. All right, we're going to jump back into it here. Final segment, The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew, I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right. I'm not your daddy, nor do I play it on TV. I mean, I got five kids of my own. I don't need you. You're, I'm already supporting enough dependents. I do not need you anything else. 
Uh, all right, uh, Nick Begich is our guest, the Michael Duke Show. Final segment of the show today. We got started right before the break talking about what I think is going to be the biggest issue uh, facing us. Uh, Nick, we, we've got we've got kind of the perfect storm of convergent crises that looks like it's about to occur. We've got a massive amount of debt that continues to accumulate. We've got an out of control appetite for spending in Congress. Uh, I mean, they just did the debt ceiling raise and that nobody wanted to talk really about any kind of, uh, you talk, you said austerity, which means cuts to government, cuts to services. Nobody really wants to talk about that. Uh, we've got, uh, we're borrowing $5 trillion a second. And then on top of that, we've got this movement internationally uh, to try and move away from the dollar is the world reserve currency and some of these other things, which have ramifications that the average American usually does not understand. Um, but, but we've got all these problems. And and on top of that, we've got entitlement programs like Social Security and Medicare. There was a new chart that came out yesterday or day before where, I mean, Social Security by in in 11 years social security is going to be exhausted the fund itself and they'll have to get cut payments by 20% to even keep the thing rolling medicare is going to be out of money 3 years sooner than that and it's going to continue and yet the politicians proudly point to it and say we're not touching that it's a big problem yes, but we're not exactly. touching we're not touching this exactly. at all just look at us aren't you proud that we didn't touch this and we've raised the sea i mean it's it's like the perfect storm for the train wreck it's like the the, the bridge is out and they're in the they're in the locomotive and they're just like instead of grabbing the brake they're like shoveling coal into the box going this is going to be yes. spectacular it's it is crazy i you know it's wild and 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 there have been several statements that Mary Peltola has made on this exact point where she's proud not to touch Social Security. Let me tell you something. You don't touch Social Security, you're going to have that 20% shortfall, and it's going to happen in the next decade or so, right? We This program is careening off a cliff because it's underfunded, right? And the challenge that we have had with uh, Social Security is that it was set up from the very beginning to be behind. The, you know, the trust fund's gonna be exhausted. Um, there won't be a trust fund and the entire system, once we hit that wall that you just described, uh, is gonna be funded by current payments. That's it. There won't be a trust fund left. And look, part of the challenge is, and this, this may sound a little controversial, but we have to put forward solutions to actually fix the problem. Right. The challenge is, if you were to go to a financial advisor today, and let's say you're let's say you're in your mid twenties and you're ready to start some retirement accounts because you know one day you're going to need to retire, if you went to that person and you said, "What should I invest in?" They would not tell you to invest in treasury bills. They would not tell you <laughs> to invest in the lowest yielding security available, which is a T bill or a government bond, right? But the entire trust fund for Social Security for decades has been invested in nothing but government debt, government debt. And so we get some of the lowest yield, some of the lowest returns out of Social Security as a result of that 100% allocation to that asset. Now, you might ask yourself, well, why are they doing that? Why, why don't they diversify? Why don't they put us in some other things? The left will say, oh, we don't want to risk people's Social Security. No, that's not why. The truth of the matter is because we run these huge deficits, we need someone to buy all the debt that we're producing. And guess what? That's you. 
through your social security. That trust fund has been invested in government debt from the get-go. Right. And uh, it's a Ponzi scheme and it's used to prop the system up. Well, it was, yeah, it was never a problem when you had 15 workers for every social security recipient, which is what the numbers used to be. Today, it's down less than what, 2.1 or just under two workers for every recipient. And as the baby boomers are aging out and they're saying right now that the baby boomer population, the retired population is going to increase by something like 18% over the next five years, you're going to have a real problem and you can't keep borrowing at this rate. I mean, that's the thing when you are spending more on debt service than you are on defense, which is one of the largest line items in the budget. And that's just going to continue to go up. You, you can't continue on – it's madness to continue it on is, this path. It is absolutely uh, nuts. And, you know, you mentioned um, what's happening at the same time internationally as it relates to people – a drive to move off of the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency. And, look, for, for, for students of history out there, the U.S. dollar has not always been the world's reserve currency. Okay. Prior to the U.S. dollar, you had you had France holding uh, the reserve currency status. Great Britain, Spain, Portugal. These things change over time. You know, the ability to hold that status as reserve currency is contingent on our ability to be responsible stewards of our fiscal and monetary policy, which we are not being right now. And that's right. why you're seeing so many countries, the BRICS. Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and more, right? I think I believe they're, they're up to maybe close to 50 countries that are trying to join or have already joined the BRICS alliance, are now looking at a gold-backed currency or an oil-backed currency or a basket of commodities that would back currency and provide redeemability. Why is that important for them? Because they can't trust that the United States is not going to just hit control P and print the heck out of our currency. Because that's what we've been doing. Right. And and so um, now you're seeing, and you get back to personal privacy, this push for something called CBDCs or central bank digital currencies. And now they're saying, look, because we know that we've been so irresponsible, we're going to force you to stop using cash. We're going to issue a new digital currency. And look, this is being explored even in the United States right now under something called FedCoin, if you can believe it. So this is actually being piloted by the U.S. Federal Reserve and dozens of governments around the world right now is how they can use a, a, a digital currency instead of cash. Now, you may say to yourself, well, don't we use digital currency now? No, I've got my credit cards. I, I have a, a digital bank account. No, it's, it's different. The Chinese have been testing this as a, as a system, as a model, and here, let me tell you some things that they've done. They've created something called ephemerality, okay? If you don't spend your money, it disappears. So they can control the velocity of money in the economy. They've got other features like it will impact your social credit score if, they, if you spend your money in ways that they don't like, they don't approve of. If you can imagine a situation where somebody gets in government and decides, we're not eating as much meat, uh, um, anymore. We're going we're gonna to cut meat consumption in the United States as official policy. Your allocation of the purchase of meat this week has now been capped and you're going to have to buy something else. This is where that technology can take a, a society 
And uh, this is what the fiscal and monetary irresponsibility is going to lead us to if we don't get some control over how we are spending our money and what the role of government should be in the United States. Uh, I mean, the debt and the whole situation, the world reserve currency status, digital money, all those things, very troubling. Uh, but we got about 90 seconds here, Nick. So I'll give you the floor. Final thoughts on you know why you're running, what people can do, how they can help you. Give me the rundown here. Yeah, you know, I think we've covered a lot of ground today. I wish we had a couple more hours to talk about these issues because there's nothing more I love to talk about than policy. And I think we missed the opportunity to have the policy debate and discussion in the last election cycle. And I'm hopeful that we'll get to have that discussion this time. Um, I'm a conservative, always have been lifelong Republican. Uh, I'm excited about the opportunity that Alaska has uh, in front of us. I think uh, we've got to have a full-throated voice an advocate for Alaska that's not sort of half in, half out like we have right now, someone who's cherry picking opportunities based on the flavor of the day. I think we've got to have someone that's unapologetically for Alaska, for our resources, for our people, for our jobs. I want to be that person for the people of Alaska. I'm ready to work hard uh, again uh, to earn your vote. And I hope that you'll challenge me with good questions. I'm I'm available. I am here. I will make myself available to anyone who wants to have that conversation. I'm Nick Begich. I'm a candidate for U.S. Congress. You can uh, find more information about me at www.alaskansfornickbegich.com. We've got a very active Facebook page. Be a volunteer. Get involved. This is your state. This is your future. And uh, and I hope that the people of Alaska, as we go into 2024, um, right. will be a part of the solution. Thank you, Nick. Folks, we're out of time. The Michael Duke Show. We'll see you tomorrow. All right. up Right up against it. Boom. Right up against it. Uh, Nick, uh, you know, I, I think this gets deeper than a lot of people. Like you said, I mean, we could talk about, we could talk strictly about monetary policy for probably a full two-hour show. Um, and I know some people in the chat room are like, oh, this is French conspiracy. No, if you've been reading about this, they are working on the whole Fed coin model. They are working on this. Other countries are working on a social, uh, you know, policing, social uh, grading aspect of it. Um, it really is. I mean, it's the wet dream of government to be able to digitally control your currency and do whatever they want with it. Having cash under your mattress won't mean anything at that point right. when uh, if they go into that direction. I mean, it's a it's a true problem. If they can control it from every aspect, that's a true problem for you. Um, but the monetary policy, I mean, the biggest thing for me right now is the amount of debt we're creating, the deficit that we have, and the fact that every politician, with a handful of exceptions, Thomas Massey, Rand Paul, some of those other ones, are totally ignoring it. And they're like, it's all going to be fine. Don't worry about it. Now, maybe for them it'll be fine because they're protected, the elites, they've got their private islands and the things and, the, you know, the people, they know the people that know the people and can do, and they may avoid any kind of catastrophic fiscal crash, but we'll be left picking up the pieces and paying the bills. We've got to slow it down now. Look, I mean, we, we are paying the bills. This is, what, this is what a lot of folks haven't realized yet. We are paying the bills today. They're showing up in inflation. They're showing up in inflation. You know, folks say, hey, inflation's coming, you know, getting under control. No, it's not. Because those prices are higher today and they're going to stay that way, right? Inflation only measures price increases year over year. 
it doesn't measure the fact that since Joe Biden took president, became president, took the presidency, we've got 20%, 30% price increases on certain categories, and you're going to pay those prices from here on out. And um, this is this is the tax. This is the tax of making poor decisions in government. And um, you're right. Our, our leadership doesn't appreciate this. There are leaders, you point out, um, Rand Paul and Thomas Massey are good ones who understand the fiscal connection between the decisions that they make in the Congress and the consequences that we have to eat as, as citizens. Um, but there's not enough people to get that. And uh, until we start electing people who do, we're going to continue to have these problems and they're only going to get worse. It is, And I'll tell you, folks, if someone out there is thinking that this digital currency is a conspiracy theory, let me tell you, you got to do your homework. Do your homework. This is this is happening right now. Everything that I said on the show today, you can go verify. It's <laughs> it's all available at, at your fingertips. Google will show you. There's uh, Fedcoin is a real thing. They're working on it right yeah. now. Central bank digital currencies are being explored across the board. Uh, and there is a war on cash globally for a lot of reasons, but governments love it because it allows them to exert uh, additional control and regulatory authority. Yeah. No, I mean, I got to be honest with you. This has been going on for years. This is not simply a Biden problem or a Trump problem or an Obama problem or a, a Clinton problem. I mean, you just can go back and see even going back beyond. I mean, W. Bush, you know, grew the size and scope of government. I mean, exponentially after 9-11. That was just the crisis excuse, I think, to grow it. But this has been going on for years uh, at least the last 30 years, we've been looking at this expansionist policy where debt is good. Debt is good. And the more debt you have, yes. the better. You know, that's modern monetary theory, MMT, uh, where, they, where literally a Nobel Prize winning economist who is an advocate for MMT has actually said debt is money. Debt is good. That is nonsense. And it's proven to be nonsense over the last few years, you know, there was a, we ran an experiment, okay, with universal basic income during the COVID response period, right? Where the government just started writing checks. You got a pulse, you get a check. And uh, you got a sugar high in the economy out of that, right? It, it did what it was intended to do. It boosted the economy suddenly, right? And it, it boosted it so much that it jammed up supply chains and you had all kinds of other downstream effects from it. But now we're dealing with the sugar low on the other side. And it's far worse uh, than I think even <laughs> anyone expected it to be. And the problem is when you juice the economy like that, you're creating fake cash. It's not real. Right. This, this money is supposed to be a medium of exchange that represents human capital. A but, stable, a stable medium of exchange. That's yes, the problem. And yes. And, you know, this is where you've got. Uh, countries like um, El Salvador, right? El Salvador has decided that they're going to adopt um, Bitcoin as one example of uh, as part of their reserve foreign ex exchange reserves, right? And they actually enter into open market purchases on a daily basis and buy one Bitcoin every single day. And they're not the only government out there. There's a number of developing world nations that are using this approach to help to, to stabilize their financial reserves. And um, why are they doing that, right? 
These, these people are not stupid. These people are educated in some of the best universities in the world. They go back to their nations. They're, they become central bankers there. Why are they choosing those assets versus, say, the U.S. dollar? They're doing it because they see plainly that we are abusing our reserve currency status and they can't rely on the dollar as a mechanism to hold value over time. Right. Well, because it, right? So they need- here's because here's the thing. I mean, let me just break it down for people real quick. If they borrow, if they are a lender to the United States for a million dollars, some entity lends the United States a million dollars based on the currency at the time, the value of the currency at the time. And then 10 years, let's say it's a 20 year note, 10 years down the line, the U.S. government inflates the currency by quantitative easing, right, by adding money to the money supply. They've actually made those dollars go less. So instead of getting their million dollars back, they might now only be getting nine hundred thousand dollars in actual value back and so they're devaluing the currency so people are more hesitant entities are more hesitant to invest in that and eventually they're like well you've deflated your payment back to us by 30 40 50 percent why should we and eventually the borrowing or the lending will stop we could keep trying to borrow but we can only borrow as long as people are willing to do it and when they stop that's when the music stops. That's when the chairs are around and you're like, you hope you could find a chair to sit in. Well, and this and this is really, I'll tell you, you 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 put the the you put you put your finger right on it. Here, here's the challenge as it relates to the United States. There's no purchaser available in the world with enough cash to buy the debt that we're creating. Not even China has enough free foreign exchange reserves to buy all of the debt that we're creating. So how is that debt being purchased? Remember, the Treasury issues the debt. The Fed has been buying the debt. They create money out of thin air and buy the quantity of debt that is produced by the Treasury in order to finance all of this deficit spending that we're doing. There's not enough money in the world to buy the amount of debt the United States is creating. And as a result, the only entity out there that can possibly buy it all is the U.S. Federal Reserve. And if that's not a warning to, to folks, I, I, don't know, I don't know what is. There's not enough cash on the planet to buy the amount of debt that we're creating today. And uh, it's going to be a challenging few years. It's going to be challenging. And if we don't fix this problem now, it's going to be, a, we're going to lose a generation. Yeah. Well, that's not an exaggeration. It'll be it, it'll be a crash worthy of all. It'll make the it'll make the Great Depression look like a walk in the park. Uh, if that's the case, see Zimbabwe or the Weimar Republic, if you think I'm joking here. I mean, that is just uh, it's it's a horrific idea. And the fact that it is the world reserve currency will have global repercussions. It won't be just a single country that it'll be suffering it. It will have severe. But again, the politicians are insulated. You're going to be one guy down there crying into the wilderness, maybe with Thomas Massey and Rand Paul, but you're going to be one guy doing it. But at least it's one more person that's fighting it. I mean, I just I can't I can't wrap my brain around how these people can look themselves in the mirror and just say everything's going to be all right with what the monetary policy that we're continuing to push right now. I just I don't think most most of the folks in Congress fully understand it. I think you to understand the folks in, in, in Congress, you got some really smart people. You got some people that probably shouldn't be there. You've got some folks that are have narcissistic personality disorder where it doesn't matter what happens as long as they're fine and they're going to the parties at night and getting the big checks from the PACs. They don't care. Right. 
And you've got all these different people that comprise the Congress. That's just the truth. I mean, you know, it, there's there's good people, there's bad people, there's people that they're not interested in what the public thinks, but they've become very good at at, uh, at connecting with folks. And um, when the doors are closed, they're not interested in what you have to think. And um, that's that's a sad reality. And uh, it's up to the voter to sort sort all that out and try to figure out who's for real and who's not for real and who, if they are for real, can actually get the job done when they get down there. That's what elections are supposed to be about. But I will tell you straight up, if you want to know what elections really are about, unfortunately, it's about a propaganda machine to get people to vote one way or another. It's about how to get people to to feel better about one candidate, to be likable about a candidate. So that when they walk into the voting booth, that's a feeling and they say, mm, who do I like? And look, if you're a likable person, you're likely to do well. That's that's the sad state of American politics today, that most voters don't sit down and make a pro and con list and think about who's gonna best represent their views in the Congress. Uh, but that's really what it should be, at least in my opinion. No, I agree 100%. It's always based on a feeling instead of actually research. And because most people, they're busy living life and they're not <clears throat> they're not interested in the day-to-day -day workings of it. And as long as they got their lump of sugar, they feel like they're okay. Uh, you know, the that's that's the problem. Well, Nick Beggage, uh, we'll have you back here in a couple weeks maybe and talk some more about this stuff. Uh, get deeper into the conspiracy uh, I, mean, I just I'd love to I'd love to be back I want to I want to spend time on your show uh, we're we obviously are are both able to dive into the details at a level that few are and uh, and I love that I think it's important and I and I hate the idea of politicians dumbing things down for the public because you get a lot of people who are running for office that, that are told by their consultants or others oh no don't don't get into that people won't be able to understand that that's nonsense. I believe people can figure this stuff out. They need to know, and they need to know that the people that are running for office understand these issues. Right. Well, they shouldn't be hoodwinked. They shouldn't be hoodwinked into dumbing it down because these are complex problems and they don't have simple answers. You can't have a 148 character tweetable answer for most of these problems. That's the bottom that's right. line. But that's what that's what consumers have been trained to take in right now. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> uh, Nick Beggage, thank you so much, my friend. We'll get in contact here, and we'll have you back on here shortly. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Again, alaskansfornickbaggage.com. Nick, thank you for being part of the show today. Folks, we are out of time. We're going to uh, head off. Tomorrow is Firearms Friday. We'll see you then. Have a great day.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. <laughs> 